mama cover your ears. This one is particularly bad. Be advised. Hey y'all, I'm Jen. I'm from Oakland and I'm a queer black feminist scholar. This is Darren, hailing from the mean streets of Anaheim. I'm an introvert, a novelist, and a nerd. We're early 30-somethings with three kids and over a decade of marriage. This is a podcast about the realities of blackness and adult life. We do adult differently. This is That Black Couple. Greetings. How y'all doing? It's time to grab a protein smoothie. Hmm, protein smoothie, okay. Yeah, I was watching that new, um, is it Flip or Flop? Yeah, Flip or Flop, Fort Worth. Fort Worth with the black couple. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how she's going to go grab a smoothie. And then I realized ain't no smoothie places nearby us. And it made me sad. Yeah. Yeah. And we tried to get that smoothie at one time when we first moved here. It has celery it in has it. It has celery in it. Ooh. It has celery in Don't it. Don't ever drink a smoothie with celery in it. It has celery. It has strings. Ugh. And so, yeah, so I want y'all to grab a protein smoothie so we can be healthy. You know, get a smoothie with a protein boost. Something to make us, like, fortified. This is a very serious episode. Serious episode. Yeah. So we're talking about football today. Something I know more than I would like to know about. Still not very much. Still not very much about the actual sport. But the industry and the system... I know a lot. Oh, you know all about oh, that. a lot about that. So grab your smoothie and have a seat. This is That Black Couple. I'm Jen. I'm Darren. And before we get started, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at That BLK Couple, on Facebook at That Black Couple, and look us up on the internets at www.thatblackcouple.com. You can stream episodes on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And you have to rate us high because that's what all of our ancestors would have wanted. And they are watching you. That's so ominous. I know. It's ominous on purpose. Did you just say all of our ancestors would have wanted to? Yeah. They would, they would want you to be supporting our podcast. I mean, I don't disagree, but I just feel like that was so dramatic. It was. And they better rate us high. I agree. So on today's episode, we're talking about why our household is a no football household. And first things first, we'll talk about emerging news around medical issues associated with the game of football, specifically in the NFL. Then, in the conversation, we'll discuss all the problematic aspects of professional football that are damaging to Black folks in particular. Lastly, in the reflection, we'll relate our personal experiences with football because one of us actually played it, and the other of us was reading books. We have written a few articles at watercoolerconvos.com, that's watercoolerconvos.com, covering today's topics, and we'll cover some sources from the internet as well. We'll make sure to drop all those links in the show notes for you. Let's go. Let's go. All right, so it's first things first, and the way that we came to this episode, this is not the first time we've talked about this, but you know, I saw an article on Aaron Hernandez that really, I mean, it had me feeling a type of way. And it's because it had a lot of the gory details about CTE in the article. So I want to give some background. The article was published in Washington Post on November 9th. And it details the conditions surrounding Aaron Hernandez's death by suicide. 
So he died in April 2017 after being acquitted for a double homicide related to an altercation in a Boston club in 2012. But he was also serving a life sentence for the death of Odin Lloyd. So he had had multiple interactions that resulted in the deaths of others. And he had a lot of uh, issues with domestic violence as well. So after Hernandez's death, doctors found that the 27-year-old's um, brain, he was a, he's an ex-New England Patriots player, his brain had severe damage and he had stage 3 CTE. It was actually so severe that they had never seen a case of damage that bad in a person younger than 46 years old. So they were like literally like shocked. They were aghast at the damage they saw on his brain. The damage to his brain was so bad to his frontal lobe that it could have affected his ability to moderate his behavior and to make decisions. There were what they called dark spots. So in the article, they show um, like a cross-section x-ray of his brain. And you can see like it shows like a normal 27-year-old's brain and what his brain looked like. And you can see these kind of really big black areas where his brain was just basically. Yeah, I think I, my understanding is I think that's the what they call like those tau proteins. Right. And so, like the present, the presence of them is basically a big marker for right. CTE. Right. So, according to a doctor who was interviewed by Washington Post, um, named McKee, they said, "We can't take the pathology and explain the behavior, but we can say collectively in our collective experience that individuals with CTE and CTE of this severity have difficult with impulse control, decision making, inhibition of the impulses for aggression, emotional volatility, rage behaviors. We know that collectively. So what they're basically saying, because, you know, medical doctors, scientists have to make sure we can't always assign causality to certain issues and outcomes. But what they're basically saying is that you can't be absolutely sure that there's a linear connection between the game of football and the outcome of CTE or between CTE and the outcome of aggressive behavior, right? Because the idea is that there might be other people with CTE who are not creating these same circumstances for others, who are not harming others, who are not showing the same types of aggression. But what they're saying is we can tell you that these types of damages to the brain do affect the areas that help to regulate those behaviors. So right. there's, if there's not causality, there is some type of correlation. And that for me is like, I, I really struggle. I mean, I struggle with this idea that we should still see football as a like viable career option and profession, especially for young black men. I'm not really understanding how we're still pushing young people toward the sport, especially when they are hitting one another at earlier and earlier ages and at risk for these types of diseases. I don't get it. I don't understand it either. We honestly, we were just out eating lunch yesterday and I was, I was talking to you and there was a TV over your head and it had a football game playing. And I looked at you and I just said, just even looking at this makes me sad because I'm watching this and I'm fully aware of what's happening on the TV right now. Like we are actually watching people go through the process of damaging their brain. Right. We're watching the hits. We're watching them. Like, these are the building blocks. I think it was a college game. And so I'm, I'm thinking, these are people in college. They're, you know, they have these aspirations to to go into the NFL and have, you know, these illustrious, you know, NFL careers. And But we're, we're, we're watching them beat themselves up and cause actual damage to themselves. Like, we're, we're watching it occur. And the thing that I always relate it to is 
is like I, I think of it, it's a lot like smoking, right? Like so, so for a long time, smoking was culturally it was cool. It was like that was what you did. It was what you did socially. That camel, remember that camel? Right. <laughs> and there was yeah. There's a big thing about Joe Camel and how yeah, like we can't we can't be promoting smoking as if it's like a cool thing. Right. We can't promote it to kids. I mean, we still have issues where you know cigarettes are being promoted into like uh, predominantly urban areas and, and black areas where right. you know they're targeting certain demographics with right. cigarettes. Right. But I mean, there was a time where you know smoking was on TV, and it was very much like a like a, oh look they're smoking. Don't you want to be like them? Don't you want to? And we had to, as a country, come to the point in realizing we are just promoting people's death when we do this. Right. We're saying, hey, how about you do this thing that'll kill you? We know that it's going to kill you. We have all the proof. We've done all the research. We know it, but we're going to still, you know, dance around and act like that's not reality. And at some point, you know. Over a long period of time, I think it was a lot. A lot of that was actually through the nineties, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we came to the conclusion: hey, this is bad, and we can't continue this type of behavior. We have to actually try and stem people, you know, picking up cigarettes because it's affecting life outcomes. Right. And I feel like that is the same exact thing that's happening with football and CTE right now, where we know this is happening. We we know that people having these high impact hits over and over and over is causing their deterioration in their brain and it's leading to violent acts of them hurting other people. It's right. causing um, it's causing them to take their own lives. It's causing diminished life outcomes and, and, and um, prosperity in life. You know, we have all these cases of people with CTE where, you know, they, they just are, are living in really destitute ways where they just can't even manage their own lives and they're doing things like, like drinking antifreeze and, right. you know, it's just... And somehow we're supposed to be okay with that and still and still show up on Monday and Sunday nights and say, Hey, Monday night football, let's watch the game and let's let's root for, you know, the Patriots and Right. I, I, I don't know I don't know how we delink those two things. Right. And just to be so to be clear, so C T E stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So according to Boston University, it's a progressive degenerative disease of the brain found in people with a history of repetitive brain trauma, often athletes, including symptomatic concussions, as well as asymptomatic subconcussive hits to the head that do not cause symptoms. I really want to focus on that last part because what they're saying is that there are ways that you can have symptoms of a concussion, right? So you have someone who passes out, someone who faints, someone's eyes roll back in the back of their head. But CTE is actually very dangerous and more implicit because it can also turn up in people who have had long careers who never showed signs of concussive issues or people who for all intents and purposes, seem, you know, quote unquote, normal. And because of repeated, repeated impacts of the head, their brains have degenerative issues, meaning that it causes the brain to, to corrode and develop harm or harm against the body over time. Right. And people don't understand that like, the brain is already aging, right? The brain is already aging. But if you're 20 something years old, you know, 18 years old and you're taking these, these hard hits to your head and you're causing damage to your head in your early twenties, in your thirties. By the time you hit 40, you've pushed your brain to limits that, that most people's brains don't actually get to in their actual lifespan. Adds to the fact that you are also aging in the ways that bodies already age. Just right? natural. Just natural. So for me, I'm just like, how do we continue to think about football? You know, how do we continue to think about football as something that we actually are championing, that we like watching, that we're excited about? I actually, honestly, I actually don't get it. 
I, I just genuinely don't get it. I mean, listen, you know, we we sat down, we watched the movie. Will Smith made a whole, whole movie. He had the questionable accent. Mm-hmm. It was called Concussion. It was a good movie. I thought it was a good movie. I, thought it was I a good enjoyed job. it. A lot of the critics came for it, and they 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 tried to. I thought it was good. They said it wasn't that great. I was I was very taken aback at how good the movie was, mm-hmm. and I think it actually did a really great job of chronicling how difficult it was, even just to say, look at what is happening to these people. This is this is directly related to the activities that they participated in. It, it's from taking hits over and over again in football, right? That has now led to them having these tragic life outcomes, right? And what I don't understand is when we're in a point in life where we've had. A, a major motion picture movie starring Will Smith, of mm-hmm. all people. Will Smith, a major movie star. This is, it's not like this movie was like under the radar or it was some indie film that was only shown on 20 screens. Mm-hmm. Like this was a nationwide, you know, worldwide Mainstream. film. Yeah. You know, it was up for Oscars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And still we're, we're strapping up our kids, putting helmets on them and pads and, and pushing them out to the field and saying, you know, you know, go take a hit and go like, I just, I don't understand. I don't either. And I guess that's why we work, because ain't no way. And, and my kids ain't doing it. No. And I, I mean, listen, like, this is, the episode is about why our household is a non-football household. And that's not just that we don't put our kids in it. We also don't watch it. Right. We also don't watch football. We also don't buy into the whole fantasy football thing. I mean, there's a lot of issues that I have with this whole idea that we're just trading people around. Like that whole process to me is very problematic. The whole culture around football to me is just really makes me very uncomfortable. And we can get into that more deeply in the conversation. But I think that it needs to be a, it needs to be a, it needs to be a conversation, you know, and that's why we're talking about it. I think that especially as more data is coming out and as we have like, you know, the culture of Pop Warner, you know, we have the culture of young people. I know growing up, you know, where I grew up, a lot of young people play football. It's a normal thing, football, basketball, and people see that as your ticket out the hood. That's your ticket out the hood, you know? And when we have those kind of like ideas, what does that, what do we then kind of in some ways condone? And when kids are out here having concussions, taking these hard hits as young, young, young kids, and by the time they get to their 20s and 30s, they're having a hard time with memory, they're having a hard time with controlling their aggression or whatever, then we see the the implications for the people who are around them, their loved ones. Yep. Like, this is a much larger conversation, and that's why we're talking about it today. Thank you for listening. We are the proud founders of watercoolerconvos.com, a platform at the intersections of blackness, culture, and adulting. We started that black couple to dive deeper into the issues facing young black millennial folks navigating the anti-black, anti-queer, white supremacist world today. This podcast is supported by donations and patronage of our listeners and readers of our blog. You should head over there and check out some of the content when you get a chance. If you would like to become a monthly subscriber or patron and help fund our content, sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash watercoolerconvos. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Please consider giving $5 or $10 per month to help us build our platform and grow our organization. We really want to hire new writers and social media people, y'all, but we can't do that without your help. You can also give a one-time donation at www.paypal.me forward slash watercooler combos. All donations are welcome.
You can stream the show on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. When you listen, please consider hitting that heart button, sharing an episode, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving some dope-ass comments. This helps us with our page views and also gives us more listeners for the show. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the show. All right, we're back and it's time for the conversation. And I really think I always want to talk about culture. I always bring up culture. I feel like people are going to be tired of me talking about culture. But I do want to talk about the culture surrounding the NFL and the culture that uh, around like organized sports in general and the kind of meaning making that we have like on athleticism and citizenship. I really do think that a lot of the ways that we understand, even like playing like an American pastime, like baseball, is about citizenship, you know? And there's a lot of ways that we put that that onus on people of color, specifically black people, you know, black men. And so, you know, I always think about how when people ask me, what's your favorite, what's your favorite NFL team? What's your favorite NBA team? What's your favorite baseball team? And how everyone always says like, if you don't have anything else in common with somebody, at least you can talk about sports. Right. You know, like that's the American thing. You know, that, that's a marker of citizenship. If you don't have anything else you can talk to someone about, if you're different racial groups and you don't agree on politics, you can always talk about sports. And that to me is like getting at this underlying culture too of the NFL, right? And the NFL is really like this system that is meant to kind of unify, you know, everyone. It's really meant to be colorblind, but in it, in it being like, in it supposing to be colorblind and supposing to be just an American pastime, it is so explicitly and overtly racial and so explicitly and overtly anti-black. And every time I say that, people really get very upset with me. They get very upset with me. But the reason why is because anything that is based on like a white heteropatriarchal capitalistic system is going to be anti black right if you have anything that is owned by predominantly white cis heterosexual men owned right Mm -hmm. most of the team owners are white cis heterosexual men most of the people who own the arenas where they even play white heterosexual cis men most of the coaches white cis heterosexual men most of the quarterbacks and the quarterbacks, and this is my research now, I always say I don't know the, nothing about the game. I don't know what none of them flags mean. I don't know what the lines are. I know I don't even know how many yards there are. Maybe 100. Are there 100 yards? It's 100 yards. Okay, there you go. But I barely know the rules. But I do know that most of the quarterbacks are also white, cis, heterosexual men. And what's interesting about this, I was reading an article about this, is that quarterbacks get hit the least. They get hit the least. Yeah. They're protected. The whole yeah, the whole goal is to always protect your quarterback. Right. The whole goal is to protect your quarterback. You don't want them to get hurt. But the people who are often protecting the quarterback are usually the larger, like usually black, bigger men. They Mm -hmm. take the most hits to defend the white guy on the field. It's a really fucked up thing when you really think about it. Right? The kicker, usually a white cis heterosexual guy. Kicker rarely gets hit. So when you think about who like the white guys on the team, and this is not to say that that's all the white people on the team, it's absolutely not. But thinking about who's quintessentially and overrepresentedly white on the team, it's the kicker who pretty much never gets hit and the quarterback who pretty much never gets hit, right? And then you think about who's getting hit all the time, right? It's not even those running guys. What do they call the running backs? It's not like the, it's not like the, you know, 
I don't remember his name. What was Reggie Birds. It's not even those guys because he was the one who ran all the time and caught the ball. Mm-hmm. It's actually those guys who sit on the line in the very, very front. And they just smack each other over and Every over. Time. They Every just time. smack their helmets. They smack their shoulders. They just run into them constantly. And sometimes they're even still hitting one another. And there's reverberations of those hits even after the call is made. Even after the play is done. Those reverberations are still going through their bodies even after the play is over. You know? And so in the research that I've done, it's like those are the people who are the most at risk for things like CTE. And they're already bigger guys. They're usually very, very heavy men. They have a lot of muscle mass. Their bodies are already covering, a, cu- cu- carrying a lot of muscle. Their bodies are working really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And then you add the fact that they're smashing into each other, 300 pounds of somebody else smashing into you, and you already sitting out there in who knows what kind of weather with who knows how many pounds of, of padding and helmets on your body. You know, I'm just like, think about the conditions. We're not even talking about just the basic logistics of being a big, black, heavy, muscular guy on the field in charge of protecting the white man. Right? Right. And the white man's investment. Right? Protect the white quarterback. Protect the white coach. Protect the white team owner. Well, and the other thing that's, that you know, this is my special insight because I have played the sport. Uh Uh-huh. There's... You know, a lot of times when you talk about football, people talk about what happens on the field, like what happens on game day and what right. they're seeing on TV. Right. What What you also have to remember is there's a lot of training that goes in, like on the back end, right? Just right. like any other sport, you know, you go to practice, you're training, there's coaches running drills, right? You're doing all this stuff. You're doing, almost always, you're doing all of, all of this practice and training with all of your usual gear on. So there's all those, all the heavy pads. Right. You have the helmet on. Right. You have all that gear on while you're doing all this practicing. Right. Um, and then based upon which position you play, more often than not, you're also being trained to take a hit as well. Right. Right. So especially when you're talking about like, you know, comparing certain players on the field to like quarterbacks, quarterbacks are trained and how to avoid avoid hits. Hit. Yeah. You know, as if you watch football, you always see when whenever the the quarterback has to run, right? Mm-hmm. They always slide or they always mm-hmm. dive, right? It's jump out the like, line. They jump out the side. How do you protect yourself so you don't get hurt so no one actually hits you dead on, right? Let's let's make sure you stay healthy, safe and pristine, right? right? Every other player on the field is trained to not do that and right. actually to take the hit. When you think about those running backs when they're running, I've been a running back and you're trained. Okay, you're running. Someone is trying to tackle you. Now, don't sometimes you try and dodge if you can. You try to get around them, but you're also trained to hunker down mm. and and to either accept the hit and try to absorb it and to keep going or to push back and hit someone out of the way, right? Mm. It's more so about that conflict. I was also trained to be a linebacker. Always it was like, how do you take the hit how do you actually tackle someone how right. do you, you get your force to take them down and hit them head on right yeah a lot of football training is about how to hit yeah what the right what the right way is how to maximize the impact interesting right and so when, when we're when we're thinking about you know cte and, and all the damage and, and the repeated right. repeated impacts right it's like it's i always like to say it's also not what you're seeing on the field you have to also remember you know, everyone's going to practice every week too. Mm. And when you're doing those practices, a lot of times it's the repeated hit. I remember yeah. when I was when I was doing linebacker training, it was literally we would stand in the line and we would take turns hitting. That's horrible. Over and over and over. I can't even imagine. 
and th- and that's the practice, right? And so th- that's not in a competitive situation where there's you know a, a a team you're looking at across the field that you're trying to beat. These are people that you're playing on your own team with wow. that you're hitting, right? And so you, you compound that with what you then see on the field, and you think about how many hits someone is taking just on a weekly basis. Right, right. It's terrifying. I can't even imagine. And I think about all the stories you hear about people who are in practice and just faint and never wake up. Right. Right. And you hear that kids in high school faint, pass out, never wake up, dying of things like heat stroke, things like dehydration. It's just think about the, what they're doing to their bodies, you know? And I, I just, I, so, so I guess this other thing that I'm, that I'm trying to talk about here is like, I think about Colin Kaepernick and this whole phenomenon of trying to get Colin Kaepernick back into the NFL. I really struggle with it. You know, I've written an article about this where I'm like, if he's really about black lives, he wouldn't go back. You know, I don't, I really don't believe that you can, like Audrey said, Audrey Lord, you know, the master's tools will never bring down the master's house. Right. And I don't understand how going back into the NFL will inherently disrupt or dismantle the functions of the NFL, which are inherently anti-black, which are inherently patriarchal yeah I, I feel like colin kaepernick getting back on an nfl team is not a win no it's not it's not a win for him because we're putting him back in danger right it's not a it's not a win for the movement and what he was protesting because what happens then like, right that doesn't make anyone actually change or do anything. right it's just like okay we'll let you keep playing and here's the thing so when i say that when i say that the nfl is inherently into black what i'm saying is the nfl is a system it it functions to monetize the physical mental and emotional labor of black people without reinvesting or rebuilding rebuilding black communities or in any way seeking reparations or restorative justice for black diasporic peoples meanwhile we're all sitting here watching the stories come out about cte you know watching 40 year old athletes die by suicide after years of taking hard hits for white team owners and coaches and we aren't really even conditioned to ask questions about it because we're told that 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 oh they signed up for that or they got paid, you know, however many millions of dollars. And because there's some type of cash transaction, so because they bought into the system, because they were part of a capitalistic churn, right? Because they were they agreed to be a cog in the wheel of white supremacist capitalism, then that makes it okay that they they die at 36 years old, that their brain systematically corroded and no longer functions, and that by the time that they were dying, they didn't recognize their own child. Like, that to me is inherently anti-black. And I feel like the culture, the culture that we're talking about, like anti-blackness tells us that that's okay, right? Anti-blackness teaches us that, that you know, it, that's better than not having money, right? Because it's like assimilating into whiteness in some ways. Right. It's performing citizenship in some ways, right? Because at least then the white people like you, right? Now people know your name. Now you're popular. Now they want to trade you on cards. They still think of you as just some nigga, right? Richard Sherman said that. They just, Richard Sermon said, oh, you, when you call me a thug, you really trying to call me a nigga. He said that. I know he didn't change his mind now. Well, because we saw what happened when he said it. Right. Cam Newton said the same thing. They all say the same thing and they just basically get cussed back in line, basically. You know, but I'm like, th- there's this kind of unspoken thing where we understand that the system is inherently anti-black. And even though they're getting nice paychecks, right? People go, oh, don't compare the NFL to slavery. In slavery, they didn't get any money. Literally, that's all you got? That's it. That's it. They got a paycheck. Y'all are so fucking corny. (laughs) Y'all are so fucking corny because that's what we remember about slavery, right? When we read the history books, we go, wow, they wasn't getting paid for this labor. The terror, the absolute unbridled terror of slavery would have been better if they just got a paycheck. Well, well, I'll I'll do you one better. Okay. Let's not say it's, it's, it's slavery. Let's okay. It's not slavery. 
let's just say it's sharecropping then. Right. Is that, is that better? Exactly. Because pe- that, that peonage and sharecropping was a derivative of slavery. Exactly. It was slavery without the law. It was slavery by another name. That's what Douglas, Douglas Blackman called it, right? A whole book about debt peonage and it being basically slavery by another name. And when we talk about the NFL, we can't, it's like we can't reconcile the fact that they're making tons of money and that they're still being exploited. It's like we can't, we just can't really see how the two can exist because once uh, some type of capitalistic enterprise is introduced, we're incapable of understanding how exploitation can still exist. And the other issue is like you think about the fact that you still have, there are people who work to this very day, people who work for companies who are paid a monetary sum but then you look at the people who are at the top who get paid orders of magnitude more you have that's how the that's how the the real estate bubble bursts that's how the wall street bubble bursts we had people with golden parachutes who were basically killing companies who were leaving with hundreds of millions of dollars meanwhile people at the bottom were making thirty five thousand dollars and were getting laid off because of their decisions right so it's not it's not about making money it's not about the fact that there's a transaction there's a monetary transaction between you know the folks who are actually taking the hits and the folks at the very top i don't think that you can pay ransom money for cce i don't think that we should Mm. should should be paying ransom for that that's a word I'm just like, if this paycheck is giving me CTE, I'm like, are we okay with that? Or are we also anti-black? And at what point do we grapple with that? At what point do we have to admit to ourselves, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if somebody gave me a million dollars, I would, I would die at 36 with, uh, you know, with my brain corroding and not recognize my children too. Sure. That, you know, though, that's why you have the conversation because I think people don't want to link those things. They, they don't want to say all those things within the same breath. Right. Because it makes them uncomfortable. It and does. It, it challenges them on the things that they love. Like, you know, people love to watch football and they like to sit down with their family. And that's always been a tradition. And, you know, they, they tailgate and they go to the game and they do all those things. And, you know, they have such warm feelings and memories associated with all of that. But it's like, but you also have to realize that in doing that, you are supporting a system. Yeah. And the system that you are supporting is literally k- killing black people. Listen, bitch. People got warm memories about lynchings. They took deviled eggs and shit and picnic baskets and watched lynchings. So what are we going to do? We're just going to use our warm memories to support systems of exploitation and murder and mayhem? I mean, that's what we're doing. I got warm memories about that time I watched somebody getting shot. Mm. Well, I mean, what's his name? Um, Bob McNair. He's, he's the owner of the, the Houston Texans. Uh-huh. NFL team. He's the, he's the one that went out when... When, you know, the, the take a knee movement's going on and, you know, all these people are so upset, like, oh my gosh, how do you take a knee during the an- national anthem? It's such a terrible thing. And he's the owner who went out and said, this is just like letting the inmates, it's, it's just like inmates running the prison. Yeah. When, when we talk about systems, like, I need, I need people to understand that this is what we're talking Listen, about. Listen, when he said he's that. He's an owner who basically related his own employees as inmates that. in a prison. Because he believes that. He's basically saying, I'm the warden of yep. a prison. Yep. And I'm not about to have no jailbreak. Yep. That's how he believes it. But that's what he believes. There are rules and standards that you all have to follow. And if you don't follow them, like, there's a consequence. I wasn't surprised. I saw that quote and I was like, we writing about this? It was we, one of those things. It was like, it, we knew it was going to happen. Someone's going to slip up. Right. I'm like, oh, I mean, surprise face? Shock face? I mean, no, I'm not surprised. Of course they feel that way. What? How? How could? How could white owners, white arena builders, white coaches, white quarterbacks? How could they all participate in the system for this long and not feel that way? I mean, let's and you know, let's just be honest. The NFL is a sport, just like all sports. 
anyone that's participating, anyone that's an athlete in the sport is is a commodity. It's a product. Right. And they work the product until it runs its course and then they let it out to pasture. Right. Just like just like you think about like these horse races. Right. Where these horses, I mean, they're like in pain. Like they're it's not like they're just living leisure. Like these pay, these horses are run ragged. Right. And then when they can't keep up anymore, they just say, Okay, bye, you're done. Right. And they just get a new horse and do the same. And that's what they're doing with these people. Right. And that's what I don't like making the comparison. I hate doing that, but it's not that we're making that comparison. That's just how black bodies are being commodified in the NFL. Exactly. They are seen as interchangeable bodies. And we see their humanity, absolutely. Like we see them as people, but that is not how the system operates. It's a system of churn. So and I mean, if we're gonna have this conversation, we have to have this conversation. So the culture starts to meet in places like Pop warner i remember pop warner when i was a kid i remember everybody wanted to play on pop warner and you know i recently saw an article about a 12 year old boy who suffered a concussion during a pop warner game in florida and i remember hearing about that all the time growing up kids who like would just pass out during pop warner games and this to me socializes young black boys in particular into a culture that equates their physical bodies with citizenship and with worth i mean it teaches them that that's where they should put their emphasis and their focus. That's where they should put their time and their money and their bodies, right? And black families too. I mean, that shit is expensive. Paying for all the equipment, those oh, away yeah. games and stuff. Like that stuff is not cheap. It's a huge investment. It's a huge investment. And so that's that's a capitalistic game, right? So Pop Warner benefits from the money of black, of black families too. So for me, I'm like, okay, that's a conversation. But not only that, it also, it also starts that process of damage, right? You have 12 and 13 year olds whose bodies are still developing their brains are still growing and they're taking hits and they're getting concussions what the fuck i can't i don't understand it i don't understand it and this is my issue and then people talk about oh you know this person's a dumb jock and i hate this whole dumb jock stereotype oh that person's a dumb jock and and then they always do the whole reverse oh that person's a smart jock look they went to mit and i'm like listen I need y'all to interrogate the fact that there's like, I always see trends. I always see trends. I'm like, if you see a whole bunch of athletes, a whole bunch of athletes, and you see this consistent kind of developmental issue, might it be, especially if it's NFL players, right? Or people who play football, but you don't see it in the basketball players and you don't see it in the rugby players and you don't see it in the people who run track. Okay. They all athletes. You don't see it in the swimmers, but you only see it in people who play football. People who take hits to the head, people who box, people who take hits to the head. And you're like, dumb jock. No, boo. Maybe it's because there's some issues with their brain. Maybe we are sitting here and watching as people's brains are actually having corrosive damage done to it. Maybe they are developing early forms of CTE. Maybe we, in our, de- in our desire to always categorize and overlook and justify and be okay with the exploitation and harm against some people, we're just simply not paying attention to the shit right before our very eyes. And I feel like anti-blackness is one of the ways that this lets us get away with that shit. Anti-blackness tells us that black people should accept this kind of catch-22. It's like either you poor or you go to the NFL and you might get CTE. It's like, that's the, that's the option. Either you from the hood and you, you got to struggle and grind or you go to the NFL and you could be rich and you might make it big. You might get CTE, but you know, (laughs) you're going to be rich for a couple of years. I mean, and that's the thing is it's, it's the selling of that dream. Right. Like, like, Hey, that's, that's making it right. Participating in something that will pay you a lot, but will also, seriously impact the length and the 
the, the quality of your life, the overall quality of of, the, of your life. Right. Like, hey, you go after that dream. Right. I mean, I I think about you know I played football and I remember I'll never forget freshman year. I, I was actually one of the really strong players on my team. And I remember one of my coaches being like, hey. I could really, really see you being like an all-state player. I could see you like really being like a big deal, and it could, this could be like. And I remember from that moment, there really being this this pressure, not even just from coaches, but also yeah. socially from friends. Like, hey, you, this is a big opportunity. You can right. let's you know you hit the gym. You know, you know, yeah. practice your sprints. You know, yeah, get get all your get all your skills down. I mean, this this you know this could be your ticket. And I remember. I think luckily for me, I was someone, you know, I, I grew up in an upper middle class background. I had a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, I I was not in a situation where I had to really look and say, I have no way to, to, to like, see a future success for myself, except maybe right. if, if some guy says, hey, you, you throw and catch that ball really well. Right. Right. And so I never, that pressure was there, but it never was enough to, like, make me say, let me really focus in on football and have that be the real thing. Right. But I know that my case is not, I know that my case is more the exception than anything right. else. There's a lot of people who don't have very many opportunities. Absolutely. And the idea of, hey, I could be a, a, a NFL star. I could play, you know, on TV. I could get paid millions of dollars to play a game. Right. I could get endorsement deals. Right. I could be a celebrity and, and kids could look up to me. And, and this say, is something hey, I'm, I'm good at. I'm good right. at it too. Yeah. This is something I'm. that th- people look at me and say, hey, you are great at this. Right. This, this makes you a good person. Right. I see value in you because of this. Right. Like I see how that is a really tempting thing. Absolutely. People would say, "Hey, I'm going to sacrifice everything. Absolutely, I'm going to double down and put all my effort into this." And I think that is also kind of going back to what you said about dumb jocks. I think that stereotype can also be damaging in that way, where it's like it's okay if you're a jock and you're dumb, right? Because all we need you for is the Your jock body. part, mm-hmm. right? So we're not going to really necessarily invest in you being smart. You know, it's not a big deal if your grades are great or not. Just just make sure they're passing so, mm-hmm. you, so you qualify for the game. Or not even that. At USC, child, they was not passing. The football players were not passing. Yeah, they weren't passing, but, but, but I'm officially sure, they're passing. I'm sure the report card looked fine. But, uh, yeah, it, it looked right. They got degrees. Officially. We'll just say they got degrees. <laughs> they, made, they made it through the, through the program. Right. Uh, but, I mean, I think that's the thing, right? You think of that, that dumb jock stereotype. Like you said, it's like... There's a lot more there than like, oh, well, you're dumb, so maybe maybe you can just go play a sport. Right. There's also like a, a disinvestment in people, and there's a we just don't see the value in people. But it's also than- patriarchy, right? So, and right. I've talked about this on watercoolercombos.com too. I have an article where I talk about this kind of like the, the tenuousness. It's like there's a tension there because, you know, on one side you have the fact that you know overwhelmingly black men who play uh you know in the nfl are being exploited absolutely but at the same time they have this proximity to whiteness and they have this kind of camaraderie with white male patriarchal systems that benefit them in a lot of ways and you know they they can be abusive they there's a lot of harm that comes from that and i always remember thinking about you know my interactions with football players in high school and in college you know and how they would get in classes and not do any work and still get good grades and how the teachers you know the professors they knew the football players and i had to work really hard for things they got really easily you know at usc they had a special place where they ate and we had to eat with roaches and mice mm-hmm. you know our our eating facility evk Got shut down all the time. All the time. You know, everything that we were eating had probably had all type of so terrible nasty. stuff. We no wonder we were sick all the damn time. I mean, our food got was contaminated. You could taste it and tell it was contaminated. Right? 
but the football players were well taken care of, you know, and 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 that's not rare. That's not rare, but it's because that that's their that's their commodity, that's their product, and so a lot of you know predominantly black cis heterosexual black men who play who play these sports, they end up kind of benefiting that from that, and they they benefit from that privilege. And everybody's not Marshawn Lynch. Shout out to Marshawn though, because I went to high school with him, and he always been a good dude. He was a good dude in high school. He was always a good dude. And I think he came into the NFL thinking, I want to go in there and make a little bit of money. I want, I'm going to take it easy. I'm not going to take no hard hits. I'm not going to, it's some shit I'm not going to do. I'm going to take care of my hood, like, which is a different thing. But there are a lot of people who, I think he's an anomaly. I don't think yeah. that he, he's not, that he's not normal. That's not, that's not the norm. And I, I guess for me, it's like, I fundamentally believe in a future. I fundamentally believe in a reality you know, where black people don't have to make that choice, where we don't have to choose one anti-black exploitive harmful system, you know, over another anti-black exploitive harmful system because it looks a little less anti-black harmful and exploitive. I mean, that that's not what liberation looks like. That's not what liberation, liberation looks like. Liberation doesn't look like, you know, like you said, like Sophie's choice of, hey, which, 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 uh, pill that's gonna kill me do i right, choose right this one's gonna kill me slow and this one's gonna kill me fast or this one's gonna kill me but i'm gonna have money when it kills me or right. this one you know and i'm just like i, I really kind of feel like when, when we talk about football we have to talk about you know the larger structures that we're talking about here and we're talking about patriarchy we're talking about capitalism we're talking about anti-blackness if we're not talking about those things then i can't talk to people about football and people don't want to talk about it they're like oh just let me enjoy my game just let me watch it just let me watch the 49ers just let me do this thing. And I'm like, you can go ahead and do it. I'm not going to do it. And just know that if you talk to me about it, I'm going to have my opinion about it. That's just what it is. And it's hard. And I get it. You know, you probably grew up with whatever and you, you wore the jerseys and you went to the games and you cheered them on. Like I said, you probably have a lot of warm and fuzzy memories. The problem is I feel like people need to get to a point where they see people. Right. Where they don't see they don't see a number. Right. Where they don't see stats. Where or they don't fantasy see- football whatever right whatever you know scores or points or you know winning the season or whatever it is i need i need people to look at these games and see people these are people that have loved ones they have family members they have you know they go home to situations and people that love them and care about them and even those people that love them and care about them have to watch them deteriorate beating themselves into the ground every day right and and if we don't see the humanity in them i don't understand how we can ever say that we're for black lives i agree like what you hear? You can find my mom and dad, aka That Black Couple, on the web at thatblackcouple.com. You can find them on Facebook at That Black Couple, and you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at That BLK Couple. If you have questions or comments about the show, email them at thatblkcouple at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. All right, so now it's time for the reflection. Yep. So, Jen, I know you don't really have like a lot of football memories. Nope. I don't think football was like mine a was basketball. Big personal thing for you, uh, but for me, football was a big deal. Mm-hmm. I, 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 in my childhood, I played a lot of football. During recess, I played a lot of football. I played flag football for a lot of years in my life. I played tackle football in high school for a little bit. It was a big deal. My my mom is still to this day a huge football fan. She's a Redskins fan, like for life, which 
is hard on multiple levels for a lot of different reasons. Very, um, very hard. But when, but when I think about football in my own personal life, you know, talking about this subject is a little bit difficult because I do have a lot of, you know, fond, you know, warm, fuzzy memories, like I've been saying. You know, I played football and I loved it. I enjoyed it. I liked the competitiveness. You know, I liked being out on the field and having that adrenaline rush. Um, I also really liked the idea of playing football and being on a team. And when you play as a football team, it really is like a coordinated art to work with so many people and have all of these plans, you know, really come into fruition and work out. You really have to depend on everyone to to win and really work as a team. And I really did like that. And I still look, you know, fondly on those times in a way. But at the same time, my most vivid memory of me playing football was when I was I was a freshman in high school and we were on the bus going to a game. Mm -hmm. It was an away game. And I was sitting on the bus and I looked out the window and I prayed to God and I prayed to God. I said, God, please, can I just get hurt a little bit? (laughs) That was a bad idea. It was a terrible idea. But at the time I was sitting there, I was like. We had played some games and it's, you know, it's hard. Football is a hard game on your body. It hurts. You know, you have to push through the pain all the time. And after the game, you know, you have to ice yourself in a lot of ways. You're usually tired. You know, it's, it's just a really rough thing to go through. And I remember being kind of done. I was kind of over it at that point. The fun had gone from the sport for me. But... I didn't, a lot of people were depending upon me. Like we've talked about a lot of people watch you to like, hey, keep playing. You're doing a great job. We're cheering for you. We're behind you. Yeah. And there were a lot of people on my team that were like, you know, we really depend upon you. You're a big part of our team and, you know, you help us to win. And we, I I don't know where we would be without you on our team. And so you have all these people depending upon you and and looking to you for certain things. And I remember feeling like I don't ever want to let any of these people down. Like I don't want to play anymore, but if I just quit, like, how how do I just quit from this? Yeah. And so I thought, you know, in my, you know, teenage mind, if I just get hurt a little bit, just hurt enough so that I don't have to play anymore. You know, I don't have to let anyone down and and make it look like I quit and, and that I'm not here, you know, to be a part of the team dynamic or anything. But then I also don't have to keep going out on the field and playing. Yeah. Now, coincidentally, literally, when we got to that game. The, the first play was kickoff game. I was clipped and I tore my ACL and I was out. And that was, yeah. that was coincidentally my last football game you ever got, for the rest of my you life. You got your answer though. I, I got what I wanted. God said, It took sure. months and months of therapy and surgeries, but I got what I wanted in the end, which was to not play football you anymore. You could never play again. That was it. Um, but I mean, think about, I think about that now that that's what I was going through and facing as a 14 year old. Right. That I was just like, I need to find a way out of this. Like, I can see how this is just not a good life situation. Right. But there's so much pressure. There's so much need and desire from everyone around me for me to just keep going. Right. To keep investing and to keep hurting myself and to keep taking the hits and to, right, to keep participating in the system that I'm not even invested in anymore, that I don't get any joy out of anymore. I just, I just have a hard time when I look back at that, when I think about who I was as a person and how, I love to write and I was good in school. I got good grades. I socially, I was in like every club. I did, I was doing so many things, but the one central thing that everyone could rally behind that everyone could understand and say, yeah, this is a good chance or yeah, you're doing great. No matter whether there was someone in school or, you know, parents or anyone that I've just met in passing was football, right? Yeah. It, was a, it was a cultural touch, touchstone that everyone could understand. Right. And, and 
to that end, like it was a very easy way to get that general kind of sense of worth in right. any type of circle that I was in. Right. And to give that up in a way was it was hard. Yeah. And so I, but at the same time, knowing knowing now even how bad it is, I kind of ha- I kind of struggle with as a parent how you then put your child into that system. Yeah. Like how do you reconcile with that and say I'm okay with putting my child into the system that is going that I know is going to hurt them in some way. Yeah. There's no way you come out of playing football unscathed. Yeah. You're gonna get injured. You're gonna get hurt. You're gonna see some things you probably didn't want to see at a minimum. And we're not we're not talking about the long term effects, right? Even just just on a bare bones, then you're gonna see that, right? And I think so. For me, you know, obviously, like you said, I was not into football, but I, you know, I'm a six foot four inch tall woman, so I played basketball. And mm-hmm. I think, in a gender perspective, the idea is that if you're tall and a woman, then you have to play basketball. It's like either you model or you play basketball. And I was super awkward, so they were like, "Oh, you can't model. Sorry, you can't play basketball." <laughs> but you know. I mean, I think to your point of like feeling that worth and stuff, like I still have people to this very day who will talk about, I mean, I'm getting a PhD right now. I had open heart surgery, had three kids, you know, did all this stuff. And to this very day, I go home and people are like, remember that time when you were 11 and you played basketball and you did that thing and you gripped the ball? And I'm looking there like, that's what you remember about me? Like, I mean, I'm 33. Okay. So that was the first third of my life. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's what you got. I mean, that's what you you got. You got when I was 11 and I played basketball. That's what they're holding on to. Right. And I do think that that's a cultural issue. I do think that there's this culture where it's like, you know, when it's young black people, even if, and I was good in school too. I mean, I had 4.0s and I was class president and in all the clubs and all that stuff. And I was diagnosed with a heart condition and people still tried to get me to play. People were praying over me to pray that there would be, that my, my heart condition would miraculously go away. Legit. Legit. There were prayers like, Lord, take it away so she can go back to basketball. Legit. I wish I was lying and I'm not. (laughs) It's just so wrong. And I'm I'm sitting there like, "Uh, this is kind of (laughs) permanent. It's like, this is kind of what it is, y'all. I'm kind of not going to be able to play basketball no more. Can we move on? You know? And I was okay with it because I wanted to be an engineer. So I was okay with it. But when I think about the NFL... You know, and this is a, a more a gendered perspective because it's it's a, a, a you know sport that's catering to um, you know mostly cis heterosexual white men played by cis heterosexual black men, and I think about the cases of domestic violence. I think about the numbers, the scores, the scores of men in the NFL who have been arrested for domestic violence, who have been arrested for you know other forms of like homicide or like hurting people, just harming people. I keep thinking about Ray Rice. You know, that video was traumatizing to watch, you know, and how the NFL tried to protect him in a lot of senses. And, you know, when I think about that stuff, I think I do think about systemic issues. I think about I wonder, like, does Ray Rice have CTE? You know, I wonder about that kind of stuff. I wonder if, you know, when we think about the overwhelming numbers of of um, men in the NFL who end up harming others, if it could be linked to CTE. You know, and if that's a larger conversation that we need to have, right? Because this, this to me is a systemic problem, right? Yeah. It's a systemic problem. And if we are seeing overrepresentation, whenever, whenever I think about it, what, what, what are the percentages, right? We have overrepresentation of certain types of aggressive behavioral issues in the NFL, right? 
we also see huge, they said there's like a hundred cases or something of CTE that they're finding now that, you know, and you can only find it after someone has passed away, right? So when are we going to have the conversation about the linkages between the behaviors that people have in life with what they're finding in people's brains, you know, after they've died? right? When do we have that conversation? And it's uncomfortable. And that's another reason why a lot of people don't patronize the NFL because of the violence against women and how the NFL has covered it up, right? So you can have the conversation about the fact that these men are committing violence against women and the fact that they are harming people, but you have to have another separate conversation about how the NFL handles it, right? How the NFL works to basically silence women once it has happened, right? And those two things work together. They're still a part of the same process. They're still a part of white, cis, heterosexual, heterosexual patriarchy, capitalistic systems. It's still the same protection of one's assets and one's products, right? It's still the same process, but it ends up manifesting itself in, itself in multiple different ways. And so I'm like, when do we have those conversations? When do we start thinking about the video of Ray Rice you know, beating his, his then fiance, dragging her into a car and the, the outcome of that, you know, her staying with her, him, the whole like Ray Rice apology tour, the whole NFL try and make him look better. He's not that bad of a guy thing, the weird suspension, but not suspension things, the please give Ray Rice a job. You know, when do we start talking about all that weird shit? You know, when do we start having conversations about how, you know, this is, this is all wrapped up together, right? And I don't want I don't want my kids anywhere near any of it. You know, no. I don't want my kids near any of the culture that says that, you know, domestic violence is okay if you have a really big paycheck or if you're a big 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 superstar or if the white men in the big, you know, room with the glass on the top say that you're a good person and they endorse you. That that's not that's not to me that's not a sufficient way to think about justice for black lives. I just don't see it. Well, I think I think what is at the heart of this issue is there is this fight to kind of just maintain a tradition. Yeah. Right. We have this this football tradition that's gone back, you know, for so long. It's a part of the American, you know, patchwork. It's it's built into our culture as Americans. It means so much to us. It's like apple pie, you know. It's just built into America. And I think there's just this undying fight where people don't want to let it go. And they don't want to see it for what it is, and they don't want to see what the problems are. And they, because they feel like if they do, they feel like if they challenge it, they feel like if they change it or try to make it, I guess, even a little tiny bit more, more safe, that they've lost, they've somehow lost something that had value. Yeah. And what inevitably gets lost in that, in, well, actually, not, not in that conversation, but in not having that conversation is the people. Right. There are people that are being lost. Right. And we're, we're not really concerned for, for them. But I also think that there's ways that we condone it too. I think there's ways that in our community where people will be terrible people. I'm thinking about like someone like R. Kelly. And it's like, well, he makes good music. Or, you know, in the mm-hmm. cases of folks in the NFL, well, they got money now. Or, well, they're taking care of their family. I've, I see that a lot. Like, yeah. oh, well, these black men have to go into the NFL so they can take care of their family and put money back in their communities and all this stuff. And I'm like, uh, okay, girl, I guess. I mean, if that's what you're using to justify it. But if they're not really living past 45, how are you justifying that? I, I, you know, like, they have kids who won't know them. So that, that's your that's your trade-off. Right. 
They put a little bit of money in their own family, bought somebody a house. And, you know, the ability to buy into the American dream is more important to you than their actual life. I can't. I can't. I can't see how we're still putting systems over people. I can't. I cannot see how we want to preserve black life by letting black life die. You know? Oh, well, it's okay if, if this person has CTE or if they're at risk for CTE because, you know, they, they doing way better, you know, in, in the NFL than they would have in their hood. They might be killed or arrested if they stay in their hood. I'm like, so we're doing the maybes. Now we're doing the ifs. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a surefire problem. It's right in front of your face. The NFL is a fucking problem. And you're like, well, that's better because if they stay at home, it's another maybe problem. I don't know. It might not have happened, but it could have. I'm and, like, I what mean, are we doing? And that, that also also feeds it right into the idea of there are no other options. Right. Like, all all we're going to do is just keep trying to get you to play a sport. Right. And I mean, obviously, there's a lot of systemic issues. There's a lot of systemic things that make other options more difficult. But let's also not act like getting into the NFL or the NBA is, like, easy. Right. Like, or like oh, everybody we're all gets make in. It. Like, There's very few people who actually get in. Very few. And very few who are able to stay in once right. they get there. And also very few who actually make a lot of money once they're there. A lot of those rookies don't actually become big stars. They don't. Mm-hmm. But 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 also I think when we think about that stuff, when we think about this whole like idea of, well, at least they out the hood thing. White supremacy benefits from that type of mentality, right? So, right. So, white supremacy says, "Oh, well, I can get you out the hood, so I'm gonna dangle this carrot." And even though it's really an old, moldy ass, rugged, you know, run down ass, raggedy ass carrot, I'm gonna dangle it. But I know it's better than that no carrot you got over there. So, yep. you know, and I feel like that's that's how a lot of a lot of the shit that we end up going through in these kind of larger um, societal experiences with white supremacy and specifically with like organized sports where we end up having to take you know stuff that we we deserve better we deserve better that's why i'm always like just tear the whole shit down just tear the whole shit down just don't participate just don't participate just imagine if enough folks in the nfl just said we're not playing because y'all don't care about us we're getting cte and y'all not even trying to prevent that shit Y'all not even trying to change the sport or change the padding or change the number of games we have to play or how frequently we play. You're not even trying to think about any rules or new new systems or anything to help preserve our lives. I mean, for the longest, they were just trying to even deny that it was real. Right. So. Like, right. Just imagine if they were like, yo, we're not going to play until you all recognize us as actual people. You know, when we're actually able to take care of ourselves and see our families and you actually give us mental health counseling and you actually give us x-rays and MRIs and whatever we need to make sure that our brains are not having any growth or or that we're not having any sustained swelling or anything like that on our brains, that we actually get to be full humans, you know, full humans. And if they're like, no, we're not doing that, then fuck the NFL. Why are you still playing in it then? I just don't understand. Like no other profession are we expected to just walk into work and they basically like, well, I see your leg is broken, but it's not really broken. And we're going to change the word for broken. And now it's going to be like fixed. I see your leg is fixed. (laughs) And that's what the NFL is doing. You know, like they're watching people who, you know, Junior Seau, you know, people who are big time stars. I didn't even know nothing about the NFL, but I knew who Seau was. You know, big time stars who are saying something is wrong with me. Something is wrong with me. And, you know, and I, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. 
And I hope that I don't die in vain. I need you all to change something because this can't keep happening to people who I'm playing football with. I love my brothers and I can't have this happen to them anymore. And they're still like, well, moving on. I, 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 how, how, how? We have to at least have the conversation. Like your sports. Cool. I like some problematic shit. I like Cardi B. She problematic sometimes. Mm-hmm. I like Real Housewives of Atlanta. I love Real Housewives of Atlanta. And I know that there's some problems with that. But I can have the conversation. We need to have the conversation. All right. Thank y'all for listening. But before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at that BLK couple, on Facebook at that black couple, and look us up on the internets at www.thatblackcouple.com. You can stream episodes on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And you have to rate us high because I do not like ugly because God don't like ugly. And bad ratings, they are ugly. Bye.